Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the team behind the privacy-focused analytics service, Telemetry Deck, Lisa Figas and Daniel Yield. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's amazing to be here. Thanks for having us. I haven't done a podcast with with multiple people in a little while. So there's my excuse number one for why this will be, you know, unprofessional. And then excuse number two, which which you both already know, is uh, right, like literally as I was setting up this recording, uh, a bunch of uh, equipment and big trucks showed up right in front of my house, right outside of my office, and literally started tearing the road uh, off of the road in front of me. So I very last minute uh, scrambled and put together a little recording studio here in my closet. Uh, so, so that's my other excuse for why this is going to be unprofessional is that I'm a little, I'm a little on edge cause I was just scrambling around trying to find cables and, uh, you know, figure out how to record with this other audio interface I don't normally use. So, so there we go. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have an excuse. Your closet is more professional than others can ever be wished to be for. <laughs> I mean, I guess acoustically, this is like the optimal setup, right? That's what they always say. Oh Yeah. We'll just go ahead and try and like lead right into things here then. Uh, so before we get into telemetry deck and what you all have built there, um, I want to introduce everybody to who you both are. So we're going to start with Lisa and uh, I'll start out by asking the three questions I always ask uh, to launch this show. So uh, the first question is, where are you from? And then do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then you can kind of talk about what your career was that led up to uh, you meeting Jan Daniel and starting telemetry deck. Okay, I give my best. So um, I was born in the former Eastern Germany and then uh, lived there until like six or seven. And then we moved to former yes, uh, Western Germany and um, my whole school education and university I received here in Bavaria. Um, we live close to Munich like an hour ago. Um, and uh, I studied uh so sociology uh politics and human geography <laughs> oh man that's a good place in the world to do that i feel like especially you know there's a lot of things happening in all of those uh arenas yeah and uh i studied during um the conflict in iraq so mm. uh, i also started learning arabic because i thought politics and arabic would might be a a good career choice there, there might be some relevance there uh yeah <laughs> but unfortunately from semester to semester uh, uh less people attended the course so they finally closed the arabic lesson oh wow just because it's so difficult or yeah it's very difficult because you you write in the uh other direction yeah and also you don't have like vocals in the written language so you have to know is this a da or do or do or you know so um you have to learn very very much not not only vocabulary <laughs> yeah wow i made I, I, my my former education is in in german we say magister i honestly i don't know how to translate it to english it's like diploma but uh, just another kind of uh way to study oh it's not like major specific yeah, you have like one main, one main science. In my case, it was sociology and two other 
um, professions. And yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's very common for people that studied sociology um, to go into marketing because you in both um, in in both um, professions you need to know how to separate the society in like groups or, or clusters um, right. based on their interests and behavior. So. Um, I started my professional career um, after university in online marketing, and I was there for several years in different like agencies. And uh, yeah, my last uh, my last um, is it occupation <laughs> was yeah. Um, yeah was at uh, Box Crypto, um, a cloud encryption service, also based here in Augsburg, where I live, and. Um, there I had the chance to dive deep into um, privacy laws because um, the company offered end-to-end -end encryption, which is also a highly political issue um, yeah. when it comes to cloud security and things like that. And um, yeah, this allowed me to learn all the, all the boring privacy law skills. I, can, I have a, a good use now that we founded Telemetry Deck. Yeah, that's interesting. So you have the... The marketing background where yes. obviously analytics is like a huge deal and the understanding of the needs there and then you have the privacy uh understanding both legally and just people's needs in those in those areas and yeah that at least from my understanding of the telemetry deck story those feel very very much uh, involved both of those pieces and we are strategically based here in europe because the gdpr is like the first big uh, privacy law yeah and a lot of other regions um, such as um, some states in the US but also Brazil India and so on they make like copycats of the GDPR so right. um, it's uh, it's for me from my perspective my knowledge knowledge it's very easy to to follow these regulations and give advice to our customers or use it in our marketing uh, arguments. Nice. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So that leads you up to telemetry deck. So let's rewind. And then Daniel, uh, we can go through those same three questions. So where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your career that led up to telemetry deck? All right, cool. Uh, so I am also from Augsburg, Germany, tiny town in the very South. Um, and I actually attended the same university as Lisa, but we didn't know each other back then. Oh, okay. Um, I studied computer science. Um, with um, a minor in philosophy, which I later changed to multimedia and 3D design, I think. Ooh. Uh, my thesis was about what was back then organic computing, and today you'd call it AI, I think. Yeah, machine learning a couple of years ago, AI now. Right. We'll have a new right. name for it in two years. So, yeah. So I, I've always been like a tinkerer and a, and a developer, even in, in school and then later university. And I kind of fell into... Like I was a Linux guy. I was one of those really annoying Linux guys. <laughs> and then I discovered that Macs have a Unix ter terminal, but also the sound works and the Wi-Fi works. So I was like, okay, now I'm, now I'm a Mac guy. <laughs> um, and I really went went into like, I want to program these and whatever. And then the iPhone came out and I was so flashed. Um, I couldn't afford one at first. Uh, but I think I, I saved up for the 3G back then. And you couldn't program them, but I started programming like these little web applications for them. Mm, the sweet solution. And, 
as soon as they announced um, with IO, iPhone OS three, I think, I, as they announced that, that there would be an SDK, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta learn Objective C now. Um, and yeah, I wrote a little app. The app was one of the first 100 apps in the Apple App Store. Oh wow! In the okay, iPhone App Store. Um, it was just the tiniest uh app to help you concentrate during your studies um it's basically the pomodoro method but i don't think it had that name back then it was just mm. like all right gives you a little timer 10 minutes of concentration and then it gives you a little ding and, and will, it will like allow you two minutes break or something yeah um that sold for a for one us dollar or one euro depending on which store you were in and it paid my rent for a whole while <laughs> that's awesome yeah. yeah that was so you were there during like the gold rush era oh yeah that, those were the days like i was I wasn't in a position to really capitalize on that and just go all in, but I had a very tiny apartment and that was paid for. And that was really nice. Like as, awesome. at least rent wise, like I didn't yeah, know. Yeah. For, for like, yeah, especially uh, just making something on your own and then it making any kind of income is also always exciting. Yeah. So yeah, I got a, like after uni, I got a job as an iPhone developer at various companies and then uh, got into a very tiny um, app development agency. And I was the first full-time employee, like the, the, the owner just like hired all these like students as part-time like mm, interns basically yeah, to work. Yeah. And then he was like, okay, I'm going to hire this guy as a first, as the first time employee. And I became the CTO of that thing and kind of grew it to 50 employees or so. Both oh, of them wow. were developers okay. and or designers. Um, and so, yeah, and then I, I kind of jumped around. I had a bit of a startup excursion before telemetry deck into the aerospace industry, like where, where, like I was programming satellites or at least satellite prototypes. Wow. Um, and then I landed at various uh, privacy-focused companies such as KeepSafe in San Francisco and then later Clicks in Munich. And for both of those, I wrote... Um, algorithms to extract per person uh, personally identifiable information from browsing data so basically they had browsers that would try to prevent tracking um and yeah that's kind of <laughs> how that went and then the telemetry deck story starts um do you want to get into that, that right now yeah i think i think we've okay. we've now converged well we haven't converged yet you guys almost, are on parallel almost. tracks uh i don't know how you met yet yeah so um, we've known each other on Twitter by then, I think, but we didn't really, like, we, we were aware of each other's existence. For, for people who don't know, Twitter is the name, uh, of, <laughs> of a service that used to exist, uh, that was really great for, you know, keeping up it with was. people in our community. It was really helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I wanted to make an app that is kind of like, oh, the new iPhones, the new iOS has that now where it asks you every day, like, how are you feeling? What's your mood? And what mm, are yeah, things yeah. that influence your mood? I kind of wanted to make something like that, but also with the, with various correlations, like it would ask, like, um, would ask, like, to, for access to your calendar. It would ask, um, if, Ah, various things. But one thing that it also added was, um, it was, it would try to ask for, uh, health data and would ask, like, if request from the health app, whether you were on your, like, how, what, where you are in your cycle, for example, mm. and whether you've had any, like, sexual intercourse or stuff like that. And, um, I published that and it was like not much of a success. Like, if, like the people who used it were super happy about it, but it was just too niche. And yeah. I also, apparently I, like, I suck at marketing. If only you knew somebody who knew marketing. Like I get this, I get this message on 
Twitter uh, from Lisa, who's like, hey, your app is cool, but it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you are not someone who menstruates, and you also have no clue about how, like, how to reach your target audience. Um, I have thoughts. And I'm like, okay, like, let's go for a drink and tell me your thoughts, please. And Lisa had a lot of thoughts. Um, Lisa, feel free to jump in if, if you want to add some, something to that. Um, but the thing was, we kind of like improved that app a lot because, um, Lisa had such a different and way better perspective and was way better to reach people, uh, like that would be, would be users of this app. And so at some point we were like, okay, how do we like actually like control how, or like find out how people are using the app, like which parts of, of, of it are people using? And I was like, I'm not going to install Firebase into that thing. Like it, mm. like it knows various, very personal things about you. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to roll my own thing. And, <laughs> and it was, I took code from a previous project that was mostly about A-B testing. And I took code from the previous aerospace project that also folded by that time that was about um, data processing and uh, extract, transform, load pipelines and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to, like have an API that accepts data, like removes all, all like removes all user identifiers and then like just stores it. And this is, this is just for your app, but in your this head is at just, this point. It didn't, it didn't even have a name. It was just yeah. for this app. And um, that's how we launched that app. And it was kind of helpful and was very like nice to like, and very motivating to look at. Like the main reason why I love this was I could just see that people are actually using the app. And yes. that's like so nice. Before, before we get too much deeper in that, I want to like rewind a little bit to Lisa's perspective on this. So like you, you knew Daniel through Twitter. Is this a thing that you would frequently do where, uh, like you'd have a whole bunch of feedback for, cause I, I have some friends who, uh, you know, will remain nameless here, but like there are people in our community that are sort of famous for like, if they start sending you feedback you're about to get this just like torrent of very, very high quality feedback. And it's kind of, everybody has a little story of this, like random improvements to their app from these people. Uh, is, is that something you did frequently or is there something like specific about this situation? Not at all. I was, I was just curious about that guy. I, I was following, I think for several years on Twitter and um, he was in that uh, bubble of our city. So there were meetups and uh, I think we had a, a hashtag for for Augsburg things like, uh, like Augs with an X. Yeah, I guess that was the community too, right? Because you, it's not like you were in the iOS community or whatever. No, no, not at all. There was um, some kind of of social check that this guy existed and was like a real normal human being. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> I felt safe. That was before to, she got to, to know meet you. him. Of course, we met in public and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I, th this was just so much fun this evening. Um, and also, I, I, I think I can share that da Daniel is so kind. When we um, said goodbye in th this evening, he he said, "Do you do you like hugging, or uh, do you mind if I hug you? Because I feel it, but I don't know how you feel." And I. I thought this was so thoughtful and so respectful. So um, I I I felt that he was the 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 right person to create an app that uh, deals with such intimate data. 
and um yeah i was i was happy that he um he was interested in my in my perspective and my experience that's awesome so at this point was it just this is daniel your uh like little side app project and lisa you just had like ideas that were coming in or was there sort of yes. a formal business partnership that started no. around that time no not at all he he shared the the access to the instagram account so i i did some posting and marketing uh, there but no no we we did not incorporate something and what were the what were the types of needs that drove you to be like we need some sort of data like what were the types of things you were looking for that you didn't have that then prompted this whole uh, let's mash together a bunch of old code and like make a service just for our app uh, to collect data privately. We wanted to have user numbers, but also what we wanted to have was uh, we wanted to know like uh, are people using this thing long term? Are mm. using people uh, are people are people launching the app manually or are they responding to a notification? And oh, also, like, yeah. what kinds of data are they entering? Are they entering the full spectrum of data, or are they very much concentrating on one specific subset or one specific slider where they could just enter their mood, but they wouldn't wouldn't touch the other sliders or something like that? And that was because, like, just we wanted to like continue working on that app, and it it, it we it was both both a passion. Uh, was was a passion project for both of us. The app didn't make any money. It was uh, never really monetized. We felt like we couldn't really ask for in a purchase, and um, we f we tried to add Google Ads at some point, I think, but it just completely like Google, Google immediately blocked us, <laughs> <laughs> and we 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 couldn't even integrate integrate the uh, we could like we, even like we could in integrate the SDK, but it would never show any ads, so it didn't really work. So oh, weird. I think. We because because we both wanted to work on this app, we needed some sort of motivation. Like, um, if it's not for money, then why are we doing this? And um, I think there was at least for me the reason why I really wanted to have some sort of analytics that shows, oh yeah, this part of the app, people are really using that, so it makes sense to polish it. It makes sense to improve it, so yeah. that we can see even more usage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, you know, to fast forward a little bit, I I'm very much a user. Uh, for dark noise and like one of the things that I really like looking at is is yeah which features are being used like it's very fun to see charts for how many people are hitting play every day as a confirmation that real people are there and that is nice but what's really like uh, genuinely helpful is like how many people are playing from a widget like really because a widget gives me lots of like marketing and so there it's worth spending time on but like if nobody's using it especially certain widgets maybe i don't shouldn't spend as much time on those and i should spend more time on like shortcut support because people are using that more or whatever um and that's the type of data yeah there's no way to get that through like automatically through app store connect or anything um and so yeah to actually understand how people are using it is extremely valuable i mean in a proper you know capital b business it's really valuable to know what you should spend time on but also for a side project when you have a very very limited amount of time uh to understand what you should be like kind of putting your focus and polish on yeah exactly and so at some point that was uh about i want to say the end of 2021 uh, the end of 2019 i want to say or the beginning of 2020 um and what I wanted to do in 2020 was uh, I wanted to go on a uh, on a like a sabbatical with my wife. So me and my wife, we wanted to 
travel the world uh, for, and we had planned that for literally years like we had like saved up a lot of money and, she, yep. uh, she, and we, we kind of both <laughs> this is a uh, familiar story <laughs> <laughs> we, we both like calculated or like manipulated our relative careers so that we would be able to either quit our jobs or take a year off um and so because she's a teacher and the school year ends in july um or around these parts at least um we wanted to leave in August of 2020 and just like, I, I, I think Such we would have started with the U S and then like travel, like travel across Canada. And then uh, I don't know. So have um, you like, have you gotten to do that? Just to, you know, no. skip over. Ah, uh, we, I, I, I think I've told this before, but like we were planning a similar thing for our 10th anniversary, uh, to go to London. It was like this huge thing. And we finally actually did it, uh, this last summer. Oh, that's fantastic. It grew into a bigger thing because of the number of years uh, since, uh, you know, but you should, you should, you should make that happen. Uh, just oh, as a total should, like, aside def- from this. Definitely. Definitely. Like it's, it's still, it's still like somehow it's going to be possible at some, at some point, I think. Yeah. Um, and so what I, what I was thinking was, okay, I'm going to be traveling the world for a year. I'm not going to be like working like as a programmer and I'm going to miss it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find like a, like one of those MacBook ones, the really, really tiny ones. And then I'm going to just hack on a side project. And I think I want to hack on the, um, on the analytics part because I'm just going to like package this up and then maybe, um, just offer it as a, as open source software or whatever. You're thinking, yeah, just like this will be a fun open source library yeah. to make to like, help people. No, no pressure. Just like, just something to to be creative with um, when I have the time, if I have the time. And then, of course, <laughs> the pandemic hit, so we all stayed put. And um, so I was like, okay, just gonna. I guess I'm gonna work some more on that because I'm kind of bored and have nothing else to do. I've recently listened to the your episode with uh, Leo Milik, and mm. he kind of said the same thing. Like, this is a Corona baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're starting to see the fruits of. Uh of some of those Corona side projects that uh, have flourished, you know, in the couple right. years since. And so I kind of just posted on Twitter, like what I was doing, because I was like, yeah, hi, I'm just, I was just like, I wanted to take one of my fellow developers to share my enthusiasm about this. I was like, okay, so I'm writing, I'm writing the API in Swift for the server because uh, I, I have to rewrite it anyway. And I, I get to try this out basically. Yeah. And people are like, Oh, this is cool. And then I was like, okay. And then I'm going to write a Swift UI native app to display all the charts and whatever. And people are like, Oh, this is really cool. Like, how can I use this? Um, and so I was like, okay, suddenly people are interested in this. And, um, I think at some point, okay, there's two things that, that happened then there was one that was the product hunt launch. And the other was one was Lisa introducing me to her boss. And I think that happened first. So Lisa, do you want to take over? Yeah, yeah, sure. The, the year, um, that Daniel, um, uh, spared was coming to an end and he asked me, okay, what, what's, how is how should we continue this is this a, a hobby or can this be a company or so and uh, i said okay my my boss is really uh, into uh, startup mentoring um because uh, i was working at a startup in that uh, uh, at that time myself and um i i just set up a call and then you maybe he has some advice on that and um, you know how this works. You set up a call and invite people, and somehow I was in that call. That that's, that was not my plan, but I don't know. It happened. And um, Robert uh, is his name. He he talked about an hour how 
how amazing this project is and that uh, Daniel should definitely continue it, but he should not do it alone because uh, it's um, the, I think the main reason was um, it's, it's too risky for uh, if you, if you look for um, external uh, investors, mm. they, they don't like to, um, to give money to just one person um, because you don't know, you know, maybe something happens to that person. And also there is, um, a lot of things to do that are not writing code, right? but organizing the company and the aforementioned and uh, all the, lack of marketing, yes. uh, you know, credentials and all of that as well. Right. So imagine I was, uh, uh, the pandemic hit me too, and I have two kids that uh, were uh, uh, we were forced to homeschool at that time, and it was a very hard time for my family. Um, and then this idea popped up: okay, Daniel needs a companion on his <laughs> on his adventure. <laughs> and I, I I don't remember. I think it was just a few days after that call when it. Uh, it never left my thoughts. Okay, you, 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 maybe you should do this because this is a once in a lifetime yeah. chance. You, uh, your best friend uh, is coming up with a project that could potentially change your life. So um, the topic is so interesting because um, the the privacy aspect um, of the analytics was um, was an important. Uh, topic in our friendship until then we we talked a lot about that and how important it is for us and and so on so um we had several years to to discuss our uh our um what is it share not shared beliefs or um yeah you guys were you were in sync on like how you your worldview on this uh at least this topic Right. And also on a personal level. So we had a really good basis for, for starting a company together. We also were, were looking for a third person because we thought maybe some knowledge neither of us have, has. But, um, you know, we in Germany, we were not allowed to go out or meet people at that mm. time. And, and if you can't like drink a beer with someone, how do you find out if you can trust each other on a on a business level? Building high trust relationships is is really hard anyway, but it's especially hard over right. Zoom or something if there isn't a previous uh, relationship already there. And the the incorporation process in Germany, it's from from the law perspective, it's comparable to getting married. I've like heard uh, I've heard there's really a serious. tiny bit of paperwork involved in uh, German bureaucracy. <laughs> Right. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's I had a friend a who moved there and explained the process of like, I think it was just like, so he could, what was it? It was so he could move into his apartment. I don't even think it was like a driver's license. And he just talked about like, he had to go over to this place and then they were like, oh no, you need to go over to this bank. And then they were like, no, you need to go over to this. And there was like this huge chain of physical places that he had to go to. And he's like, I thought I was in the land of, you know, engineering and uh, efficiency but when it comes to no. bureaucracy apparently no. uh, that's that's not really the case yeah we, we kind of stopped in the fax era yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you do you still have fax fax we machines? have lot like faxes are legally binding yes it's germany isn't it 
whereas emails aren't like here at least so like everyone faxes like not everyone oh everyone, that's but, like, the reason it's because of yeah. a legal thing with whether it's Which a is binding contract incredibly <laughs> stupid in my that's opinion. fascinating there's there's apparently this like app on the app store that's for doing faxes and it is just like yeah. killing it in germany for this particular reason and i didn't we know have, the reason why but that makes a lot of sense yeah we as a company we have a website that or a web application that we are customers of where you pay pay them a few bucks a month and then you can just send and receive faxes by as pdfs basically which is of course way safer than sending those pdfs via email yeah wow that's <laughs> that's amazing. So what we what we basic uh, basically like every week have to do because of some reason is uh, print out a form, sign it manually, and then scan it and send it back like on electronic. You ways. have to do this every However, week. Yeah, for some reason <laughs> we we yes we received some grants and then they check in after a year i is your business still running things like that goodness and um daniel showed me this feature on um what is it the the, 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 the preview app in macOS, right mm. it's, it's preview um that you can add your signature and yeah. then just insert it so i'm using this no one ever complained i don't know if they check like <laughs> well, one, the... one institution actually i don't remember which but one actually complained okay. do you remember this like what what one 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 single individual was like or institution was like it was a potential customer and they were us yes. back and they were like yes. yeah this is this is electronically generated you gotta print it out and take a picture <laughs> and then send us that that's amazing uh i love i love stuff like that here in here in well in the states it's like everything state dependent like the you know the individual states mm -hmm. in Missouri where I'm at it's like you can like walk into a bank and accidentally open up an LLC it feels like it's so it's so easy um it's a very very different process it almost feels like like you're doing something wrong in the other direction um which I guess is the opposite problem same with our taxes it's like you feel like you can literally do anything but at some point you might end up in jail if you do it wrong and there's no clear answer for what that is. At least that's my perspective. So I'm always terrified. Uh, to no, do I think the, the worst thing that could happen to us is that we have to fill out even more forms. So. <laughs> that does sound pretty terrible, though. <laughs> I just I just received a, a two uh, a three pages of forms um, from our annual tax, uh, uh, and they are asking uh, about. Uh, the the room my husband's desk is standing in how big is it and how many percentage of usage is uh for his job and oh, <laughs> oh my goodness this episode of launched is brought to you by timing the smartest automatic time tracking app for mac and good news if you sign up today via timingapp.com launched you get 10 percent off your first bill if you're someone who bills by the hour, timing is a no-brainer solution for tracking those hours. But even if you're salaried or a bill per project, timing is a great tool for measuring how long you actually spend on a project and helps you make better plans for future projects. One great thing about timing is automatic tracking. Nobody likes starting and stopping timers, so Timer automatically tracks your app, document, and website usage without you lifting a finger. Perfect for the fast-paced development environment. 
Timing is chock full of features tailored for developers like automatic categorization, intelligent meeting recognition, and team collaboration features. One really cool feature is cross-device tracking. Unique to timing, it imports your iPhone and iPad usage data from screen time, offering a complete picture of your digital life. You can try out timing for free for 30 days, and if you like what you see, you can use the URL timingapp.com launched for a 10% discount on your first bill, and that link will be in the show notes. So if you want to stop guessing and start maximizing your productivity, timing is your go-to solution. Thank you so much to timing for sponsoring this episode of launched. So you ended up with, with you two went through paperwork to decide to like make, do a startup, make this like a proper business. Um, I'm assuming that very quickly it was obvious, like that you both had very clear, uh, skills that like, were very different than each other. So was, was the sort of breakup of the work pretty clear cut or how, how was it like forming kind of a business relationship at the beginning? Uh, we discuss, uh, so, um, formally Daniel is CTO and I am CEO. There, there are some, um, tasks that are clearly assigned to one of these roles. Yeah. Like I would say on a regular basis, we discuss, um, who likes to do, uh, one task better than the other. Or for for which person is some task like easier or quicker or whatever. So this is this is one of our values that we we try to respect um, the the mental health of each other. Mm. And we found out that we uh, run on different operating systems, and we try to uh, take care of that. So uh, when it comes to uh, good hours for setting up a meeting or uh yeah when it comes to paperwork or reminders or things like that so um uh i think the the biggest um can i say that misalignment between task and and uh, role was when when daniel last year i did a really deep dive into the a process of uh, building a, a company and uh, inviting um, business angels um, as investors. Mm. We had to set up a really big contract of about 20 pages. And, um, 36. I've, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you see that he, he really, he re- like he learned it by heart and he explained to me the pros and cons of every paragraph. And I was so impressed by that. And this is, of course, um, I'm happy that, that he does that. And, um, I take care of other things that he just don't like. And it's totally fine. It's, it's great when you are two people. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit easier to just have a conversation, uh, and yes. go through everything. But uh, for for the next uh, month and years, I, I think it will be, uh, we stay at this smaller team so um, we can go on and cultivate this kind of uh, working together. Yeah. And I want to get into the, the angel investment stuff, but like rolling back a little bit, uh, you know, you, you formed a business, but at this point you didn't have a service you were selling yet, right? Or, or was that after? I didn't have a business before, but I was freelancing. And as such, I could actually set a service or at least provide a service. I don't know. So at the beginning, we were like, okay, though, this is completely free. Uh, everything is marked as, as beta and just like, please, please use it. Um, and so this is how we launched the thing on Product Hunt. And I was like, okay, if 
I don't know, 300 users sign up and actually start using it, then we can like, like follow the, like we can continue like actually in incorporating this thing. Um, and so we put it on product hunt and I have this big whiteboard in my kitchen. And so every time someone would sign up, I would make a tick. And uh, in the first two days or so, or even overnight, we had like 600 ticks. Oh my goodness! Uh, or tick marks, or yeah. And so I was like, I was like, at the beginning, I was like, I was like a bundle of nerves. I don't know if the, Lisa, if, you, if, if did you even realize how excited I was about this? I don't know. Um, but I was a bundle of nerves. I was like, really, like every time some, something came in, I was like, okay, will we get over the threshold? Will we actually, will actually this be a viable thing? Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense to like make it bigger, right? Um, and at the end of the like, after a few days, it was clear, like, okay, yeah, this is actually. This is actually businessable, uh, and so we were like, "Okay, cool. Then let's go there. Let's let's go into this direction." And then um, there's different um, forms of incorporation, and we once we reached the t the smallest one, which was enough to actually like write invoices and stuff like that. Um, then we actually started uh, like accepting payment and actually making the service a paid service for larger customers. And we kind of we kind of grandfathered in people, I think, and we we gave them like very. Uh, we had lots of. I remember we had lots of lots of discussion about like how should the pricing be, uh, what are other services asking for, how do we communicate this to the how do we communicate this to the to the existing community? Like, will people just like get up and leave because they feel betrayed that this free service is no no longer free? Um, but yeah, that actually went off pretty well. Um, so yeah, what we had at the time is we had a Slack, Slack channel that was like where we kind of funneled people in. That that still exists, but I, I kind of don't want to maintain it anymore because it's actually like it doesn't really scale um, right. for for supports for support reasons or whatever. But back at the time, that was ideal because like just like there were I want to say maybe 20, 30 people in there, and they were all very enthusiastic telemetry deck users. Um, and so we, what we did was like, we just like wrote our plans in there and we we're like, okay, so, Hey community, what we want to do is we want to ask for money. And this, these are the price points that we're thinking of. Um, and these will be monthly. And then what do you think basically? And we had, we heard some feedback and I think we had, we actually changed the price a little bit. And then like with the second version of the prices, that's what we kind of implemented using Stripe and because I think because we asked the community and various other people beforehand, and because we tried to be very respectful with, with and very gentle with the upgrades, uh, this went off without a hitch. And I think in retrospect, we probably might have been too gentle, even. Yeah. Um, because that's one of our problems. If I like, if I may say so, that we, we, we don't, we don't ask for enough money. <laughs> We, we we try to be very nice because we want people to use to use our service. We want people to be super happy, and that will continue, of course. Um, but even when we increased our prices a year later, or was it two years later, Lisa? And I think it was, was no, it, I think it was year. a year later. Yeah. Um, we doubled the prices, and no one even blinked. Basically, um, so maybe that's even even that is too low. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it's tricky with uh enterprise software like this like this is something that's interesting i wasn't there at the beginning of revenue cat where i work now but like thinking about it and obviously they're a little different because like you you're t touching people's actual payment method but still like integrating inside of somebody's app 
is requires this like high amount of trust. And so at the very beginning of something, it's like you have to build that trust and like reasonably somebody, uh, you know, Netflix probably shouldn't add uh, (laughs) telemetry deck whenever it first came out. Right. Just because like it hasn't proven itself at that point. Um, And so in like, so it takes time to build up that trust and then like your prices and everything can reflect that. But it's, there's like a delay there that happens. Right. And it's, it's a tricky thing because it's like, you're not necessarily changing the service. You're changing the degree of, of trust, which really, really matters. Um, but you know, from a user's perspective, if they're already in it's, it makes it kind of like awkward, I guess. Oh yeah. I think we were very, uh, gentle to our existing, uh, customers because we gave them a heads up prices are changing and a lot of people used the, used the chance to, um, to get the old price and, um, can still, uh, use it. Uh, I think it's. It was in April, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, like over half a year now. And um, yeah, I, I think this was very fair for the community and the new customers. They they don't even see the, the old prices because they are, they are nowhere right. online anymore. That's cool. So whenever you were first starting, you know, you said you had like 600 people signing up when it was free. What was what was kind of the mix of people you're having i'm I'm guessing especially at that stage it was almost entirely like small indie side project type companies yeah yeah um so basically if you look at a at a spectrum of of software developer sizes we were we were at the very very tiny end of the spectrum our customers were either like hobby side projects or single person indie developers which was fine like these were the enthusiasts that we had and also the app were sizes where like the, the backend has gone through about five or six generations by now. And each of them, each of these generations can handle more, like more data basically without choking up, without going, getting, going slow because, uh, they're just like the number of data goes, goes up exponentially if you have more customers. Uh, but yeah, like, so we were at the very small end and then kind of ever, ever since then we started like getting slightly bigger and slightly bigger, um, bigger customers and the, especially the iPhone or the iOS indie community was like super helpful with that because um many people in that community know me already uh, right. and also they know each other and they they prefer quality and i mean you, even though like i'm not super happy with how polished the user interface of telemetry is because it could be so much better apparently they it is it is good enough to be to, to for people to go like oh yeah i'm gonna try that out and um and so yeah we had a f- we had we have we had we've had like a lot of success with just like indie developers for their side projects or their main projects going okay i'm going to try this out for them it's very they don't have these enterprisey lag times where you have to wait like 6 months until actually something actually happens or something they just decide and then try it out because yeah. the sdk is kind of like just a swift package you just drag it in um and so it was very very um like motivational to really see apps signing up that that where i'm like oh i know that person that is so cool (laughs) or like oh i know that person this person writes the software that i used to concentrate while working on telemetry deck because it produces a lot of dark noise in the by the way the spaceship engine is my favorite Uh, oh i didn't i did not pick up on that until just now (laughs) 
So yeah, that was very motivational and also very helpful, of course. And that also gave us our first boost of revenue. Like I didn't clear it with people, so I'm not going to name names, but one of the larger apps signed up and like they had to use like a bigger plan. And so that was our first boost of like more revenue, basically, um, where we were like a long way away from profitable, of course. Uh, but but there was something that actually moved the needle where we could like say like, Hey, if like, if this continues, if we have like six or six or seven more people like this, um, as our customers, then like, yeah, we can think about like doing this, um, full time because at the time, uh, Lisa was still working for her old job hmm. and I was basically living off the sabbatical money. Yeah. You mentioned it wasn't profitable yet. So is it, is it because of the server costs? Uh, no, it's because the costs of living like, so, so, so right now, yeah, yeah. Most, most of our expenses are, are just salaries right now. Yeah. Um, a bit of, a bit of taxes and like, you know, like pension, pension funds and stuff like that, of course. Uh, but yeah, like our biggest, um, cost point by far is, uh, is just like salaries. And yeah, you mentioned like, you know, you got your first big customer in and that was a, they needed a bigger plan. So like right now your, your whole pricing structure is based on signals, uh, which is, which is the amount of, you know, uh, actual events or whatever you want to call them that people are sending in through. So like it kind of naturally scales up with a bigger company that they're going to pay you more, obviously. And obviously that also then offsets the cost that you incur for that. Was that, was that your, like pretty much that's how we're going to price it from the beginning or was there sort of ideas or different things thrown around in terms of how you would do pricing? Mm, we, we edit the, the thing that we grow with our customers, mm -hmm. we added this uh, just this year in the in the April's um, pr price increase. Um, it is now part of our. Um, oh, I I only know the the German word the AGB. Daniel, can you help the terms? Ah, uh, the end user license agreements. Mm. Yes, uh, that um, if you hit your threshold of um, of your actual plan um, with the signals, two months in a row then we'll upgrade you automatically. Um, so this um, gives us uh, the, yeah, it re reduces the work with upgrading people um, manually, mm. which is, yeah, you know, we have customers from all over the world. There's time zone issues and uh, things like that. Everything is like uh, written by email. If we can reduce that, this is uh, very helpful for us. So that's uh, why we decided to to add this um yeah change in the in the payment in terms of it automatically happening right and um the, you you mentioned another aspects of signals um uh, maybe we can we can explain that uh, a bit too <laughs> sorry daniel <laughs> um we have uh, uh when you when you start uh when you create an account um you get like 100,000 signals for free every month forever and um, this is uh, working fine for smaller, smallish apps with yeah. not a lot of users or, um, um, yeah, our customers can decide what actions they they want to track. So you, you have a, a little bit of wiggle room, um, how much signals you, you actually send to us. And um, if you hit that uh, threshold, um, then uh, we ask you to upgrade to a paid plan. And we have some 
nudging installed <laughs> uh, for uh, motivational reasons. So um, in in the moment when you're let's say one one hundred thousand and first uh, data point uh, enters uh, our server, um, you you are blocked. You don't see your data for the rest of the month. We still uh, take your uh, information and process it. Oh, okay. So it's not blocking. If you go over your limit, it's not like you lose all that data. The the sort of motivator is you can't look at it for the rest of that month. Right. And okay. if you if you um, change to paid plan or, or upgrade your plan, then um, you will able to see everything. Um, if not, uh, it is it stays blocked, um, but you can see data again um, starting first of the next when month. the month starts over. Right. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I just I, I really like that when when your business model allows for you to like have a natural growth with company. You know the, what you said. Uh, we grow when you grow, kind of thing. It felt very natural to start with that. Like we kind of wanted to align our motivation with those of our customers. Yeah. Especially like starting from the back when it was just as a hobby side project. It just like it just makes sense, I think. And also like just implementation wise, it was the easiest way to implement this. And we thought every now and then of changing about changing this. Like for example, some of our competitors, they charge by users instead of like events. Right. And um the thing is though, um you can't really like our costs align with with signals. And so, for example, if you have seven users, but you send like 400 events per user, then you're going to incur a lot of data, exactly. even though you only have seven users. It creates a nice incentive where it's like your users are also motivated to be good citizens isn't the right word, but like uh, if it's worth it for them to send a crazy amount of signals for some specific reason, then that's fine. But then, you know, that payment is incurred to them. Otherwise, yeah, it encourages people to like be kind of efficient uh, right. with those signals, which helps with your growth over time, you know, scaling to bigger and bigger amounts of data that you can process. And an additional upside is that it also encourages people to be um, very careful with the data because they only collect data that they actually, mm. actually need, which is like in line with our whole privacy focus. I jumped over that, but like the definitely the pitch now in my memory from when this all was coming out is that was the pitch then is, you know, this is the analytic service for people who want to be privacy focused. We kind of hinted at it at the beginning. Was that pretty much from the get go your your thinking and your marketing? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think at the beginning it was only yeah okay we we will we will be at uh, the same analytics service as let's say the analytics part for Google Firebase, but with privacy. And now it's like okay we will we want to be that, but we also want to be a slightly slightly more user friendly. We want to be more helpful in automatically surfacing the data that you need. Um, and there's like a lot of like plans in that direction. Um, but so far, so far, none, we haven't like materialized, materialized all of those. Um, but yeah, we want to, we want to, we want to be both kind of now. But the privacy sense. part is very important, and one of the one of the reasons we're we're doing this and we're so motivated is that yeah, we think that this is an, an important topic. Yeah, I think like selfishly, not selfishly, but from my perspective, uh, there is that element for sure where it's like. It's not even just, you know, clearly like that is a big focus for you all. You have the expertise, you understand that space. 
Um, there's also simply the fact that you're not connected to a tech giant who has the infrastructure to take advantage of that data, even if you know they're saying they're not or whatever, which makes you feel a little better. But then there's also just it's it's lighter weight. Like it feels it's so simple to use. Like uh, you know, I I've talked a lot about how easy Revenue Cat is to integrate, but like Telemetry Deck is actually my first experience with pulling in a library that's a service like this. Uh, that was that experience where I I set aside like a project in my you know to do app for pulling this in, and it was like a task. Like it it really was like you just pull in the SPM library and uh, and sign up and then there you go you're already you're already going and it was like whoa okay this is this is pretty cool can we quote this on our website <laughs> can you what oh quote yeah can sure we- yeah why not uh, <laughs> yeah but really like it really is um yeah getting going is super basic and uh, it's definitely you know, especially at the beginning, there was definitely the like, it felt like part of the sort of indie iOS community in terms of like, what things were cared about. And it's not a giant company, I don't expect it to have every single feature that, you know, a mixed panel or even Google Firebase or whatever would have necessarily, but it seemed like it cared about the things I cared about. But then as I've gotten to where I care more and more about uh, different things, because of how like flexible the system is, I've been able to sort of uh, very easily wrangle it into, you know, giving me some reports about the data that I'm interested in finding out. Um, And that has been compared to the tools I've used before, which admittedly it's been a while since I've played with most of them. It's so easy to like get a 80% there version of the thing I'm looking for. And that has been, you know, super helpful. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm basically going on an ad for your service now, but it, it really on. is like, <laughs> yeah, you guys found the hack, which is if you don't say anything, Charlie will just keep talking because he can't stop. And uh, because I genuinely love uh, telemetry deck, uh, you know, it's going to be Aww. good things that come out. <laughs> <laughs> We're both grinning from ear to ear. So I thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's cool to see to see like it grow. I also watched it come from the beginning too, which also makes it, uh, you know, feels a little more personal, which is fun to watch. But I mean, it definitely feels like it's, it's grown quite a bit um, in terms of user base and who all is using it. And like we, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but uh, at some point, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before uh, you took on investment and I'm curious what Mm -hmm. the like story is there, why you did that and what it's kind of enabled you to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as as Daniel said, the, our biggest cost uh, is the salary, and until uh, the end of August twenty two, I was still in my old job, um, which was very um, uh, exhausting. Yeah. Um, to have like two full time jobs and a family and a household and everything, so. Um, we and also um daniel had kept away his uh, uh his money for the for the travel and um this budget was just coming to an end um so um yeah we had to to decide how how to go on with the company and um how to free lisa from from her job <laughs> <laughs> and um we found this network of um women that uh 
um, that want to support uh, other women building a business. And um, yeah, they, um, they, they understood the problem that um, there are not so many uh, companies um, uh, founded um, by women or um, with the women in the team and especially in the, in the tech area. Um, so um, there was a, a really good support in that network and we found uh, six uh, so-called business angels that invested in our company. Um, not like a million or so. I, sure. I, I don't think we share the, the exact um, number, but it, uh, yeah, it uh, kept us going for a while um, with our salaries and with some license cost and, and uh, smaller marketing um, campaigns and things like that. Nice. So, um, and um, I think two uh, of these women are um, data privacy lawyers themselves. <laughs> and, that feels very relevant. Yeah. Uh, right, right. And they, uh, they immediately understood what we are doing and how important it is. And um, so we have uh, like uh, uh, our own personal team of mentors and supporters and um, especially they especially support us with their network and they are really um, well connected because of this um, network of women that want to support women uh, owned businesses and um, yeah this is how we um, uh, get in touch with um, bigger companies and um, yeah uh, mm, profit a lot also from the from the marketing and PR perspective yeah well that's cool okay so it was mostly it was it was basically taken on to extend runway um, and right. also has all these benefits of you know a right. network of advisors and like uh, people who understand the space and you can bounce ideas off of and everything Yes, yes. You, typically, you're looking for people that are not only giving you the money, but um, can help you with something else. For example, yeah. knowledge in the in the uh, privacy um, uh, law area or um, network or things like that. And uh, we we have a really good match match in that um, area uh, uh, in the perspective. I, I'm sorry, I'm I'm missing the important vocabulary, right? I think you you understand that we are really happy with our business angels. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it sounds like it's uh it's a really good partnership as well as you know the obvious like just cash and runway are also helpful. Um, yeah. and the marriage of those two is <laughs> obviously a big deal. So since then, how how has the business been going? Are you are you growing kind of how you're hoping to? And like one thing I'm curious about is, is the market segment changing at all from that sort of indie small developer long tail cohort that you were sort of targeting at the beginning? So one thing that we did uh, that was really important at the beginning of the year, or I think end of last year, is we went into a, <laughs> like we rented a cabin in the woods um, in the winter, it had a one. One of the walls was completely glass. You could like see over the snowy mountains. It was really nice, and we just spent a weekend in the woods, cooking, drinking wine, and 
plastering that that window wall full of post-its oh man um, that sounds when I, awesome <laughs> i actually learned that lisa has a very specific way of like pulling post-its off the block like you're not supposed to pull it pull it from the bottom upwards because then it kind of curls inward yeah and so it doesn't stick uh flush against the wall right. so you gotta have it have to pull it from the side or something <laughs> and then it kind of sticks flush against the wall and kind of stays there which is very cool um, this is the most important lesson from this podcast yeah. for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's a good point though because yeah then you end up with a wall of all these like sort of flipped up uh post-it notes yeah and so what we did, we were kind of, we were, we were kind of like, okay, how, like, what are our, which, which ones are the customers uh, that we want to reach and how can we reach them? Like, what are the features that we should work on? Like, what are the messages that we should, should do? Like, uh, how should we, how should we continue? Like, let's have a, have a little bit of a plan. And one of the most important decisions we made was that uh, before we kind of were like, okay, we're in analytics and analytics kind of talk to uh, analytics. People kind of talk to the marketing people. So these must be our customers, but we kind of didn't make headway, but where we did make headway th without even trying was with developers because we really are able to very, we're very well talk to developers because we're just very nerdy or nerdy people ourselves. Right. Um, and so we were like, okay, is there, is there a thing where we can like just like talk to the developers and they will kind of like bring us into their like jobs and they will bring us into their project? And we kind of Googled around a bit or duck duck went around. <laughs> <laughs> went. Um, and uh, found out that there's actually a whole like emerging field of like developer marketing. Like, please do not have make me mm. watch the webinar. Just tell me what the price is. Just here, give me the documentation instead of like paywalling it or whatever. And we were like, hey, we're doing half of these things already. And so we were like, okay, so this year, let's try marketing to developers. So we're not a B2B business. We're not business to business. We're B2D, business to developer. Mm. Um, and that really was very helpful. Um, so when when we started focusing on that, uh, it was it was really uh, we we got an immediate response. Uh, we got uh, like so we improved our website, we, we improved our messaging, and we kind of leaned into what we were already doing, like just the whole word of mouth, uh, like. Yeah, uh, we we stopped yeah. wasting time on other things. Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and other things meaning things that were geared more Targeting towards Targeting the wrong audience. Yeah in your arguments and in your uh posts and uh marketing campaigns and things like that so you're you're focusing on the developer and what exactly do you mean by that like does that mean you know the developer within an org uh like the the ics themselves or are you meaning more like those smaller to mid-size indie developers where the sort of head of the company is a developer like what's what's kind of that cohort you're you're talking about when Both. you say that? Well, um, okay. So one of the one of the really important customers are still the indies. Um, those kind of keep us afloat and they keep us yeah. um, well known and they keep they just like they 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 talk about us, which is super important because we 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 find that once someone knows about us, they and like they are like they realize like the value that we can give them and. They then they are very likely to actually try us out or at least read about us. Yeah. Um, whereas like our main problem basically is getting known. So high launched listeners. Um, 
Um, so, so yeah, so um, so the indie indie community is very important, but also uh, many indie developers or many just developers in that kind of community, they will have a day job. And then exactly, they will yeah. go to work one day and the product owner will be like, hey, um, so we, we need to add analytics. And then that person will hopefully raise their hand and say like, hey, I know a good solution for this. And so that's really important too. And also that gives, uh, that, that gives potential customers a lot of trust if we are used by, by more people. Um, and of course, what that also means is like that, like a secondary, like audience is then like people who are basically product owners. They don't have to be developers, but they are kind of technically minded because they are developing an app as a product, even though they have employees who do the, the coding for them, maybe like they still think about like how to improve that app. And so those people are a way better audience and target audience than uh, just marketing people. And Lisa yeah. always yeah. says that the marketing yeah. and developers hate each other and we kind of can make that disappear. That <laughs> And the third uh, important target group is um, people who work in compliance. So um, because of the GDPR, there's like uh, a whole bunch of people that are like internal or external data privacy officers or data privacy lawyer. Um, yeah, isn't that like a required position once jobs, a company is a certain right? size? Yeah. Yes, right. And um, I, I talk to this um, kind of people um, uh, mostly via LinkedIn because they are very well connected there yeah. and very visible and findable. Um, and uh, these are the, the ones that get asked, um, okay, we want to avoid Google products or we, we don't want to send data to the US or things like that. It's an important uh, thing here in, in Europe. Um, and um, they they can then recommend us um, as a solution, and that's uh, what they like. They they want to help their customers, so it's a it's a win win situation. And also um, compliance uh, officers or compliance departments in in like really big enterprises, they are also a huge fan of us, but they have like horrible sales processes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm curious, like, um, for bo both of those, for, for the developer focused, you know, marketing conversations and for the compliance officers, like, what are the types of things, you know, you said you're focusing less on, on things that aren't as important for those and more on things that are, what, what are the types of things? Like, what's something for switching to developers? Yeah, we, we don't, uh, write like white papers that, uh, white papers are very important when you do enterprise marketing mm. because people want to download something and print it out and bring it to a meeting ah. uh, to show that is it's a serious thing, right? But um, usually you you create something that's gated content and then you ask for an email address or a phone number, right? Uh, and then you contact these people later because you know these uh, this person is interested in this it's kind of content, leads. so there must be a reason, right? And um, in developer marketing, you really have to avoid these uh, kind of, uh, I give you something, you give me your email address um, exchange. They'll bounce very fast, especially somebody who's looking for something privacy focused, probably more right. so. Yeah. Right. And uh, on the other hand, you, you must provide certain information uh, uh, really fast. Um, Daniel mentioned the pricing. It's uh, very important that you show your prices and not only have these contact sales buttons. Yeah. Um, 
And um, the other thing uh, is um, that you need to have a, a really good documentation. And um, we, uh, we, this is for just two examples of things we, we try to do and try to, sh to show very um, easily to someone who's interested in our, uh, in our product. Um, to make it very easy to decide, okay, this is how much it costs and this is how I can help myself if I have a problem. Um, and also it helps us be more efficient because we, it's just us two and um, two, uh, two people that help us part-time. We, um, we can't deliver like a 24-hour support yeah. thing. So um, it's in our own interest too that um, the documentation just works uh, really good. How, how have you been able to focus? Because that's, I mean, good documentation is a, I think, huge deal for something uh, developer focused like this. And, but it's a huge investment too. Like how, how have you been structurally making sure that you're keeping that up and making it, you know, high quality enough that one, it's people see it as good and two, it lowers the amount of support uh, that you're ending up getting. I think um, one of the main things that we do is whenever we get it, we do get a support question uh, and that is not not answered by our documentation. We just try to update the documentation right away. Yeah. Um, so that's very important. The other thing is that um, whenever I work on a new feature or something, it really helps me write, writing the documentation. It really helps me like clarify in my mind the sort of APIs or user interfaces that we want to build for that. So I, I often end up like writing half of the documentation before even starting the feature and then like finishing it. It's documentation-driven development. Right. Um, we do a lot of test driven on the back end, but documentation driven is also very important. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a big deal if you want it to feel natural. Because yeah, whenever you're having to write a doc or a guide and it's really awkward, it's very quick that it's like, oh, this is how everybody's going to experience this. It may have made sense technically. What we also have is our documentation is just a bunch of markdown files that's in a public GitHub repo. So if you find a problem with them or have a, have a suggestion you can just file a pull request against that thing do you get and that a lot no we get <laughs> we get like once every two months or so we get a pull request hey but that's enough to be able to sell that as a story though uh and um, it is yeah. not in a like cynical way although maybe uh, that's how i would treat it but yeah and i mean i mean it's it's, it's not um it's not a bad thing you know like so and we also like and so the the fourth thing is one of our coworkers, or one of our coworkers, Marina, uh, they are our technical documentation writer. And this mm. is really helpful because if I would write all the documentation, it would take me forever. And I love writing the documentation too, but also I can be kind of in my head. And we want to talk to developers, yeah. but it should still be understandable somehow and not go too deep into well, the Well, and weeds. you have a lot of the, you know, inside information that uh, makes it a little harder to explain it to an outside person, right? Exactly that. And so, so what I, what, what we kind of ended up is with is sometimes I will just write the bullet points or just like have like my internal notes, pass them on to Marina and they will actually form that into a coherent article. And if they have a question, then they can ask me directly right. or kind of look into the code or whatever. And so that actually helps improve the quality of the, the documentation as well. That's awesome. So, okay, so we're like starting to, to bump up against time. So I'm going to try and oh. like wrap things up. But uh, before we get to, you know, that final question, kind of switch gears, you said that that's worked for you. How 
have you like you've seen that bear out like it's starting to kind of move the needle um switching your sort of focus yeah i think it has we're still not profitable (laughs) so so spread the word like come come on people help us help us out by telling all your friends about us um but we're closer and we're also getting larger customers like our newest largest customer is now an actual enterprise organization it's the public transport uh, company for augsburg or hometown and so they have an app where you can like book train tickets and or tram tickets bus tickets uh find out like routes across the city using the different public transport um options and stuff like that and we're in that app now and that's really cool and to be there we've had to survive the whole like corporate process basically from sales yeah you've learned probably a million lessons right yeah to oh yeah we need suddenly these 15 times the types of documents to oh yeah we need a yeah it's it's ironic you you have to pass all the the data privacy checks because they don't believe you when you say we don't oh, process yeah. any personal data. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, every everyone in that company who has something to do with privacy um, has to check us. And they are on a different level of technical knowledge. So you have to explain it like in different right. <laughs> levels via paperwork. And I think it took us a whole year. Yeah. Man, that's that's like... You know that's crazy, but also it's uh, it's really exciting. Like it, you know, each each time you do that, like that first six hundred people you got, which are probably smaller people, you probably learned a bunch of lessons there that you could carry to the next and make that process easier. And you know, this is just another one of those. As long as you keep growing, you're going to keep uh, running into new like challenges that will then make getting the next version of that same sized company easier you start generating playbooks and everything and so uh, that's really cool i guess i guess we can start we can start the wrap-up process here uh so i'll we'll start with you daniel because i think i started with lisa earlier so i'll ask you the question and then we'll get to lisa the question i ask everybody uh to end the show which is uh what's a person or people out there that have inspired you and your work that you'd recommend others check out right um so i thought long and hard about this because uh, like a huge amount of people automatically spring to mind, like people who have mentored me, people I've learned from, most of them are developers. Um, the thing is, um, when, when I just mentioned someone in our community, I would then have to provide a link to their work. And ever since the great Twitter implosion <laughs> of 23, oh, it's kind of hard to find people online. Like people Story are on Blue Sky on Mastodon. Story of filling these show notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, so, so yeah, I can't read. So I thought, okay, so what I'm, what I'm going to tell you is some, some one that inspires me is Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. Oh yeah. That's my favorite band. And what I really like about it, besides just the really cool sounds and the really cool music is that he's one of those people who, um, who had very like, like significant life changes. And mm. I think he was, he was a, a drug abuser and kind of kind of lifted himself out of that and just like went through so, so many phases and still took his music with him and changed the music in a way that it's still relevant and cool and fresh and 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 it like expresses what he likes what he thinks what he feels even though he changed so much and so yeah i just love listening to him and i'm really i'm really impressed by him as a person many 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 a line of code have been written by well i was gonna say me just millions of people everywhere by uh, his social network uh, soundtrack with oh, Atticus yeah, Ross. Totally. Like, yeah, that one. Uh, 
I hard hard same on there. And then I think is it ghosts? Also, ghosts is that, one to yeah, four. that's what I was going to yeah, say. Everybody, was, every uh, time I mention it, people bring that up, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, and I'll listen to it for a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good one. All right, I'll uh, same question then for you, Lisa. Yeah, so I I uh, I also want to to recommend someone I never met, and this person don't know I exist, um, but I follow her very closely. It's uh, Meredith Whitaker. She's the um, president of the Signal Foundation. Um, Signal is an, a, a chat, chat messenger app, um, but also has a very strong focus on privacy and yeah. everything is end-to-end -end encrypted. Um, so it's a safe way of communication and um, a lot of our business development is uh, uh, based on <laughs> Signal communication because we, uh, Daniel and I, are both working from, from our homes. Mm. Um, yeah, and she's... Um, She's like uh, speaking up um, on political topics. Um, so there's a, a big up going on in the European Union. Um, they want to break like basically uh, the there's a secrecy, a secret of communication. Uh, it's provided by law, but they want to break it to catch the bad guys. Mm, yeah. And um, Signal would be uh, directly affected by by that. So um, she's very active and is uh, gets interviewed a lot. And um, yeah, I, 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 I just, uh, she's a, she's a role model because she's also like deep in privacy. Um, she, she's a, a woman in that business raising her voice. And um, this really inspires me. I, I would love to meet her someday. But she always Where? posts like afterwards. I was at that event uh, <laughs> and I went there. Oh man! <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I would love to to meet her some. Where where is um, Signal based? I don't remember. Is it like it's European, right? I think in Switzerland. I was going to say Switzerland. Switzerland, and then I backed off because I always yeah, get I, it wrong. <laughs> um, my husband just mentioned that they made a setup um, with the foundation and and so on that that they are not uh, like catchable by by new regulations. Mm. I don't know how this works. I think that's why they are in a non-EU country. I guess so. that makes sense. Yeah. But I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not sure about that. No, I, I was just curious. I, yeah, th that would be, I mean, it affects you all too. Obviously it affects everybody, but in terms of business, like all of the kind of uh, flare ups of uh, anti-encryption laws that have been popping up and then like, not necessarily going away, just kind of fizzling away in awkward ways. Yeah. Um, it's definitely been so for, uncomfortable. <laughs> for everyone who's interested in that, because it's a very uh, uh, important days um, uh, when it comes to the final process of this thing becoming a law, um, check out the hashtag chat control. Um, chat you control. Can find, okay. Yeah. You can find it in social media. Um, a lot of people are writing about this and it's a lot of European countries are blocking it. So they just postponed, uh, Daniel, what is Abstimmung? Where, where people raise their hands and they yes or no in the majority. What is it called? A vote. Oh, yeah. Oh, a vote. vote. Yeah. They, they just canceled or, or postponed the vote because they knew that not enough European countries would agree. So hopefully this thing gets canceled, but it's uh, it's like a crime in uh, privacy policy lawmaking. And um, 
Even Ashton Kutcher is involved in that, but I leave that hanging on here as a spoiler. Okay, Go on right. a deep dive <laughs> <laughs> into that if, if you want to. All right. And he's not playing a good role in it. Oh, no. Okay. Interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up uh, after this. Cool. All right. Well, thank you both uh, for joining me. This is, I mean, I am a, as I said uh, multiple times, I'm a very happy customer of Telemetry Deck. Uh, I've really... I've really enjoyed it. It's it's been sometimes I think I abuse is the wrong word, but like um, it is it is my hammer. So everything is a nail. I often use it to solve problems uh, where there's a better tool for it, but I know I can do it much faster uh, in telemetry deck. And so there's been a bunch of cases where I've like sprung something in there really quick in a quick and dirty way, and then maybe I'll go use something else some for you know otherwise, but. The ability to quickly spin up uh, insights is what they're called, but you know graphs that showcase uh, something interesting. I'm trying to solve some problem, or am I, are my users doing X Y Z? Uh, that has been extremely uh, satisfying. Um, so yeah, okay, so, so you you get an invitation for a case study <laughs> yeah. afterwards because I'm really interested in learning more about that. Well, yeah, I definitely. I, I, as I've already shown you, I will talk <laughs> a lot about it. So, oh, thank you so much for having us, though. And I am—I don't know, Patisa, but I am like a really, really heavy user of dark noise as well. So, <laughs> the respect goes both ways. Ah, uh, that's that's very kind. Thank you. I'm I'm a heavy listener of your podcast, so I never miss an episode. Oh wow! Okay, well, thank you. Now I'm blushing. Uh, so we'll move on from the the talk about me. So, where can people uh, find both of you and your work? We'll start with you, Lisa. Uh, you mean the social accounts? Yeah. Oh, well, on the internet uh, or not, you know. Okay. If they <laughs> so right now I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, you can just look up my name. There's not so many people with my uh, last name. And um, when I blog, it everything shows up on the telemetry deck uh, website. We also um, post every uh, everything we write in our newsletter that comes like every two weeks. And um, on the network we we don't mention, <laughs> I am at meet underline Lisa. And I just created a Blue Sky account, um, but I, I don't know how the handle is because it was like somehow different because it was already occupied. Okay, so, well, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you are, yeah. If you are allowed to to post Blue Sky links on a Twitter, or if you get blocked immediately, I, I'm not. Who sure. knows so when this I... episode comes out? <laughs> you might there might not even be a Twitter to to go to. It's it's always a mystery. Um, right. <laughs> all right, and then uh, Daniel. All right. Um, yeah. So, like, let me start with telemetrydeck.com. That's uh, where you can find everything telemetry deck, and everything else is linked from there as well. Uh, I'm mostly active social on social networks on Mastodon. So you can find me at Daniel at social.telemetrydeck.com. By the way, Lisa, you are Lisa at social.telemetrydeck.com, but you post Thank not you. as often as I do. <laughs> um, I think I have a Blue Sky account, but I never, I never post there. Um, I'm break the system on Twitter, but I kind of also abandoned that. So right now I'm on Mastodon, waiting for either threads to be available in the EU. I was about to or, make the joke about uh, <laughs> threads or, and I don't know, like some, EU some privacy network. centric problems. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> they should be using telemetry deck. <laughs> maybe should they? Oh, they should. They should. That's totally. what the holdup is. I bet. Zuck, yeah. Zuck, write me an email. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. This was a blast. Thank you so much. It was so much joy talking to you. Thanks, Charlie, for the invitation. Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Jonathan Ruiz. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. <laughs>